Amnesia. I forgot who I am. I think it's a problem uh, that we have as Christians today. We, we maybe do Christian things. <clears throat> maybe we even come to church, you know, regularly. We, we, we check some Christian boxes. But are we actually living out who we are in Christ Jesus? As God sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ, are we living out that truth? Now, the first week we, we uh, talked about, and hopefully you were encouraged, that the fact that the Bible says that when we are weak, we are actually strong because we lean on God's strengths more when we are weak. And so that's a great and freeing truth of who we are in Christ Jesus, is that we can be weak because God is strong for us. And God lifts us up and brings us through all of the times in life that we need him. And then last week we learned that we are living stones, which is, I know some of you being called rocks was like really exciting, uh, but we are, we are called living stones, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, God's chosen people. We find that we are actually identified as God's children and we are important for his kingdom work. That he is building a spiritual household on the spiritual foundation that is Jesus Christ. And on that spiritual foundation, we, like living stones, are being put into place brick by brick, building something for the glory of God in this world. And that's our calling, and that's, that's who we are. That's our, our very identity. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is a great verse that speaks to our identity in Christ Jesus. When we become a Christian, it says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me you see as Christ followers it says we've been crucified with Christ and what that means is that the old ways of life are dead and in the life of a believer, the, the old ways of life should be dead and they should be gone from our lives. Now Christ is in us. He's moving and working through us. And that is the essence of who we are in Christ Jesus. I think for some of us, the closest moment in life we could say that we maybe actually experienced this and maybe even had this thought process in our mind was when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. I remember for me, uh, it was when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I was in the watery grave of baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. I remember at that time that, that my whole identity, I felt like my life's existence and everything of who I am was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And now he was my identity. I was no longer, not, no longer Eric of the past. I was now an Eric looking forward to my relationship with God in Christ for the future. And so we're called to crucify the flesh, to crucify the sinful ways, to crucify the past, and to live with God, walking in his power for the future. And so that's where I want to begin this morning is how do we live our lives? How do we go about our lives identified as the people of God? How do we reflect this reality and this truth, not only to ourselves when we look in the mirror, not only to the to, the, to the, the people in our house, our family, not even to our close relationships, our friends, or maybe people that we know in the workplace that we work with every day, but how about just to the world? How could our identity as Christians reflect Christ to the world? How can we truly live out those identities? As always, I invite you to engage the Word of God in the best way you know possible. 
So we're going to be reading scripture this morning. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, uh, feel free to turn there. There is a Bible located in the seat there around you. Or, as always, you are welcome to get on your phone, your tablet, your iPad, um, download the Oakwood app, and go to Sermon Notes, and all the scriptures and all the bullet points and everything will be right there for you. We just want you to engage the Word of God. Allow God to speak to you this morning through his word, and I think sometimes reading and taking notes and doing some of those things really helps. So at least, at least it helps me in my growth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Man, great, great challenges in those, in those three verses for us today. So let's unpack this together and let's begin with this. Let's understand that as Christians, and a Christian is a a Christ follower, a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. That means that Christ is your Savior. He is your Master. He is your Lord, the Lord of your life. So as a Christian, we do not fight our battles with sin and evil the way that the world would try. We're going to fight our battles differently. We're not going to fight our battles the way that the world would would try these battles that we are called in scripture as Christians to fight against sin and against evil. We won't fight those the way the world would try. And as I wrote that, I thought, does the world even try to fight sin and evil anymore? Or is the world more accepting of that? I I remember as a child thinking the world Just as a general rule, whether you believed in God and Christ or not, I felt like we were all on the same page and that we all kind of wanted to, not not, not everyone, not all, but, but many, most, I would say the majority, wanted to fight sin and evil in their life. Like like that is, yes, everyone was trying to do better, get better, but then I feel as time has gone on. And I, I, I think you can see this whether you are 80 in our service today whether you're 60 years old, whether you're 50, 40, I bet you some of you are in your 20s. And you could say, you know what, I can can relate to this. I remember what it was like to go to school six, seven, eight years old. And and I even remember just, you know, maybe 10 years ago feeling like the world was moving this direction and now it's moving a completely different way. And so evidently what that would say to us is that the world fails at trying to fight sin and evil absent of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think that's, that's a good deduction for us, right? And so as Christians, because we have Christ not only saving us, but Christ through his Holy Spirit living in us, we will not wage war the, the, war, the way the world does. Look what it says in verse 3 of our text. For though we live in this world, we obviously we all, we all live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. Notice the strong language there. We do not wage war. Like we're provoking the war. We're picking and choosing to battle. We're the ones actually waging the war. How many Christians can we say are doing that today? Are actually waging the war against sin and evil. 
But I think sometimes as Christians, we try to do this on our own strength and power. We're not depending on God and his spirit's conviction. Uh, Good news, though, in week one of this series, we learned that when we are weak, we are strong because of the power of Christ living in us. But here it says that we're not actually going to be able to fight those battles on our own. As we fight these battles, there's a different way for us to do it as a as a Christian, as one who identifies in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 reminds us of a good first step in this. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, good reminder, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And so that's always a good reminder to me. I get so frustrated with people sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's people, they're sinning, they're sinning against me, maybe personally, maybe they're just, they're just sinning in general, and I see it affect other people, or I see it affect God's church. It's very frustrating for me. But here we're reminded that this battle is not against flesh and blood. You've got to look beyond the, the people that you think you're going to battle with sometimes. You've got to look beyond that. You've got to rise above that. And you have to realize for yourself, this, is, this isn't really against flesh and blood. The battle is a spiritual battle. Not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil and darkness in the world. And you may say, why battle? Why why this waging war, battle talk? What What is this really about? It's because sin and evil cannot coexist with righteousness and holiness. And so if you are a Christian and you have left your life of sin, you've repented of your sins and you've turned toward righteousness and holiness. They can't coexist in your life. Another way to uh, illustrate this would be with light and darkness. We have lights on in the room. So you would say, it is light in the room. If we turn off everything in this room, and we did this at uh, Christmas Eve service, uh, it is pitch black, right? And so light and darkness cannot coexist really. I mean, they coexist in the world, but they can't coexist in the same place. That's the way it's intention to be as a Christ follower. It's not saying that sin couldn't enter our life for a moment or that we would never sin again, but it's saying it is not prominent. It is not existing. It's not coexisting in who we are as our identity now. We are not, we are not going to continue sin and evil and think, oh yeah, and righteousness and holiness, that they somehow coexist. But look, look how it says that we should battle this, because we just read Ephesians 6.12. Let's read the rest of that, six, uh, Ephesians 6.13-17. It says, therefore, therefore, based on that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against these spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms, it says, therefore, we're going to do what? We're going to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that when the day of evil comes... When that temptation comes back in your life and that sin creeps its way back into your life, it says that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. In other words, after life has passed you by, you are still standing on the cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 14. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, you're going to take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Amen. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're going to armor up. We're going to have the full armor of God. I actually did a series about the armor of God, taking each piece of this armor week by week a couple years ago. The full armor of God, we begin with the belt of truth. Some people like to think of that as a utility belt. Some people think it, well, it's the thing that keeps, you know, keeps your pants up and it keeps everything tucked in. It keeps, kind of keeps it all together. It says that you will build that existence on how you're going to keep your life together and your utility belt is going to be built on truth, not the lies of this world. Then it says the breastplate of righteousness. Notice that this breastplate will cover this chest and all of your internal organs, including your heart. That is so important to protect. And it's going to be protected what? Because of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ that's made a difference in your life. The righteous living. You're going to protect your heart through righteousness. And then, and then it goes on and it says that, that your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The good news about Jesus brings peace into your life and to your heart. And the reason it talks about your feet being fitted with the readiness is that you would share that truth with others. Then it talks about the shield of faith, which extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. When you feel like the devil is just throwing things at you and you're like, man, I'm not sure I can take anymore. How do you stand? How are you going to get through all of those flaming arrows coming at you? Folks, the only way is through the shield of faith. Believing God is who he says he is. Believing that he will do all that he has promised to do. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Take up the shield of faith. Then it says the helmet of salvation. What is going to protect your mind? What's going to protect your brain and your head? You're going to put on this helmet of salvation, remembering who you are. Remembering your salvation is because of the blood and the death the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the last one is the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. If you want to go on the offense, you take up the sword, right? It's the sword of the Spirit, which he identifies in the text as the Word of God. And we put all this on because we, as Christians, are armored people. We wage war. We're not going to give in to sin and temptation anymore. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, Christ saved me from my sins for a season, but I go back to the old way of life. Or, oh, wait, 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 I like the world's value system, and I like what the world says, and so I'm going to go, I'm going to live the world's value system, and I'm going to be tolerant of, of all of this mess and this muck and this mire in the world. No. No, we're going to armor up. We're going to stand firm on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Because that is... In essence, who we are, we are armored people. We are evil fighters. Second thing this morning. We will demolish strongholds through repentance and the divine power of Christ living in us. We will demolish strongholds through repentance and the divine power of Christ living in us. Look at what it says in verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I think so many times as Christians, our temptation is that we're going to operate in our own power and not the divine power of God. If you have one thing that's more powerful than another and you're going into a battle, you want 
what? You want the best and the most powerful weaponry. You want the best and the strongest and the most powerful vehicles and the best and most powerful and the strongest armor to protect yourself. And that is what he is saying here is what Christians need to lean and depend on. It comes from the Lord. It's divine. And you may say, why? Why does this even matter? It's because, it's because this is who we are. We are stronghold demolishers in Christ. Now I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, what is a stronghold exactly? A stronghold, I, I see that as something that is sinful, that just has, just like it sounds, a stronghold in your life. And those strongholds isn't something like, man, I you know, haven't done this in years and, and I, I, I committed this sin this week. And, and No, no, no. The stronghold is something you're going back to. This is your go-to. And you have given the devil this stronghold in your life. Some of us have financial strongholds. God gives us our income, gives us the ability to produce. Some of us don't return to him the tithe. We don't give him the 10%. Some of us just don't trust God that much. I'll trust him with my life and my salvation, but don't trust that he can make my 90% of my income go farther than 100% if I just keep it selfish to myself. Some of us have those kind of financial strongholds. Some of us, some of us, we're just bad with our money. I mean, if we get a dollar, we're going to spend two. That's what credit cards are for, right? Some of us have allowed us to be slave to the lenders in our life and all the bills that come in our life are us being slave to the lenders because we bought things that we couldn't afford to impress people that we don't really even like and to realize in our life we didn't even really need it in the first place. Financial strongholds, some of us have relational strongholds. You have that relationship, you have that friendship. That If you were being honest, you love the acceptance, you love having a buddy, but if you step back from it, you know that relationship is toxic for you. Is that person leading you toward Christ or away from Christ? For some of you, it's a love relationship. It's this passionate love relationship. And if you really stood back and you were really honest with yourself and you're looking at it, you're like, man, this is a relational stronghold because I'm all caught up in this person. All my focus is on them. And you know they are not leading you anywhere good with God. Some of us, I think we have these career strongholds. Some of us have mental strongholds. We just can't get our mind off of something. There's just something we're ate up with, we're obsessed with, and it's not God. Some of us have a physical stronghold. Something that we are obsessed with or maybe something that we keep, that we keep going back to. And some of us have these spiritual strongholds. Some of us have, I think, a habitual strongholds. We just, we just have this habit. It's a bad habit. We keep going back to it over and over and over again. But here's what the text says is that these weapons that we're waging war against sin and evil with, these weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds that you wouldn't have any more strongholds in your life anymore and that's why the bible talks about we need to repent repent means to turn away from sin and evil and to turn toward jesus christ when we repent of our sins the idea is that we would leave our life of sin and that we'd be moving toward christ jesus you see, Jesus has the divine power to eliminate Satan's strongholds in the life 
of a believer. And to wash away sins so they are with you no more. This is not psychological, folks. This is spiritual. Remember, it's not about flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. But we are called to be stronghold demolishers in Christ Jesus. We will demolish strongholds through repentance and the divine power of Christ living in us. Last thing this morning. We will take every thought captive and bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's see what it says in the text to make sure that we understand what's being said here in verse 5. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what does it say there, folks? It says we do what? We are going to what? We take captive what? Every thought. Now, some of us are like, wait, wait a second. Okay, we take captive every thought? To make it obedient to Christ, to bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We take every thought. We are thought captors in Christ Jesus. That through the divine power of God and through the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives as believers, we have the ability to take every thought captive, every thought. Even some of you, I know, are sweating, you're wiping the sweat off your brow right now, you're like, that thought, yep. Every thought captive and bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ because that is who we are. That's the essence of who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, what that means for many people means that we have to, we eliminate stinking thinking. We have to eliminate the stinking thinking. Because if you're honest, sometimes your thoughts lead down a path away from God and toward evil and sin in your life. And it really all begins in your mind. It really all begins when you allow these thoughts to fester and then you, you begin to dwell on them and then you get, begin to justify them. It could be anything simple from like stealing money at your workplace, going too far physically in a relationship that you know you shouldn't. It could, it could, it could be a struggle with maybe pornography that keeps drawing you back in. I mean, it could be a number of different things, but we have to eliminate the stinking thinking because here's how we think sometimes. I can't overcome this addiction. I just can't. Been, been addicted to you name it for years. I, I, I can't overcome this addiction. That's stinking thinking. In Christ Jesus, all things are possible. It is not his will for you to stay in your addiction. Some people say, well, I just can't stop this bad habit. Yes, you can. In Christ Jesus, you're you're not an addict anymore. You're not this bad habit person anymore. That's not who you are. That's not how God sees you. Why are you allowing your mind to keep going back to that? Because you're not capturing every thought and bringing it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, I can't stop being angry. I'm just an angry person. I've been an angry person my whole life. This is who I am. It's my personality. My Enneagram number is this, and so, the, you know, that's my excuse, and I'm just, you know, I'm just, I just, just who I am. No, you're not. No, you're not. In Christ Jesus, you're not. He's given you freedom to overcome these things. You're not taking every thought captive when you keep thinking 
These things like, oh, I can't stop using this language, and I can't stop treating people this way, and I can't stop fighting uh, with my spouse, and I can't stop eating, and I can't stop smoking, and I can't stop drinking, and I can't, I can't quit stealing. I keep stealing, and I, I can't stop lying because I tell this lie to cover up another lie, and like no one really knows who I am. And the reality is you get into this stinking thinking trap of I can't change. And maybe if you've been trying in your own power, and you're not leaning on the divine power that we just read about in the text today, that might be true. But in Christ Jesus, we have divine power to demolish, demolish strongholds in our life and to lean into the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus. On the contrary, to what we may think, we serve a God who has the power to deliver us those of you that are reading the Bible, right? Reading, reading, reading the Bible through the years, 108, 109 of us reading the Bible through together this year in the Bible app. We've been reading about the Israelites, right? And we have been seeing God deliver them as Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He wasn't doing it on his own power. Those 10 plagues in Egypt came from above. And God is the deliverer. God is the one that delivers them. Folks, we have to take every thought captive and bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Philippians 4.8. Some of you need to highlight this, underline this, make, make this a verse that you memorize, take to heart. Finally, okay, it's, it's getting toward the end of Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or is praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about these things. Dwell on and turn your mind toward those things. When you find yourself in the temptation in your mind, with stinking thinking, remember what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy and you turn your mind and you dwell on those things because we are thought captors we capture every thought in christ jesus and we turn our minds on him and i wonder if through that we might cure our amnesia I mean, wouldn't we like a cure? If you're feeling bogged down by sin in your life, and you're looking at your life right now, and there's some parts of your life that you just don't like, and you feel, you feel like one of those people where you feel like sin is crouching at your door. <laughs> you feel like you want to live for God, but sin is like right there with you. And how are you going to overcome that in your life? Now, here's, here's the news, folks. Some of you have seen people overcome sin and darkness in their life. You have seen people who have been delivered out of dark places. It has been highly motivating to you to see God's work in people's lives where you stood back and thought, there's no way. And you saw them before Christ, and then you saw them after Christ. And you're like, wow, look at the work that God did 
here. Look at the deliverance. And it's because Scripture tells us God has the power to do it. He has divine power that we probably can't even fathom to demolish strongholds in our life to the point that as Christians, because that's who we are, it's not just what we do on the weekends, what we do on Sunday mornings, no, it's who we are. And our existence, and our very existence is dependent on Christ Jesus, that we will, we'll take every thought captive and bring it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna fill our minds with truth. And we're gonna overcome. But for some of you, I think the next step for you this morning is this, is you need to repent. You need to repent. That doesn't mean feel sorry about your sins. Sometimes in the church, that's what we've done with repentance. We've told you to repent and you cry and you feel bad about your sins. No, Jesus never called you to cry and feel bad about your sins. He called you to turn away and run away from them. And I know some of you are like, I've been trying. I did it for a season, now I've fallen back. I've been trying for years to overcome and to get delivered out of. But here's the fact. Have you done it through your own power and through your friend's advice and through your counselor's counsel? Have you or has it been something that's divine power that you're leaning into your very identity in Christ Jesus? It's amazing. The Apostle Paul, who I I dearly look up to, wrote a lot of the New Testament. He says he's the chief of sinners. You know what that meant? He's the chief of repenters. And you saw the work that God did in his life. God wants to do that same work in yours. But you've got to submit yourself to him and put him first.